0: thank you for listening to the cross loganville podcast we will continue our series resolve so here's what i would say as i start this conversation with you today i I would say this to you a fundamental problem i believe saturates the american church today a fundamental problem And if you listen to a lot of the teachings, it almost accommodates this kind of mindset here. And it goes something like this. It goes something like, Lord, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to be what I want to be, and I want to have what I want to have, and I want you to bless it. It's it's almost like that is the culture in which we live, in the seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly, pacifying the audience, has almost become like accommodating to that kind of mindset. And it's insanity. It's like, God, I'm going to tell you how to be God, and you're going to be God the way I want you to be God, because God, honestly, you exist to make me happy. And we live in this hedonistic culture where that has become almost the mindset of people that attend church, but it's almost become the philosophy of ministry of people In full-time Christian service, even in proclamation, it's like I'm entitled to what I want to have, and I'm going to inform you on how to be God. And if you don't come through the way I want you to, I can promise you I'm checking out. And I hear this kind of stuff all the time. Like I prayed, and God didn't answer me the way I wanted to, so I just quit going to church. And it goes back to what I've been talking about. Your view of God and your concept of God is going to drive so much about who you are. I prayed for healing for this person and God did not come through the way I wanted God to come through so I'm I'm not going back around the faith anymore. Anybody ever prayed for God to do a certain thing and and, and all of a sudden, Brian, I mean, Trish, I mean, Jeff, Jamie, I mean, the loved one we're praying for dies, and it's like, for so many people, where's God? No, 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 no. Where is your power to be God? I'm not God. I can't be God. I can't tell God how to be God. I've got to struggle with who God is. And I, I would tell you this, like a premise statement. God created us for his pleasure. That's the premise I'm going to build on here today. God created us for his pleasure. We don't tell God how to be God. Even that's where the psalmist again, so many people memorize this, right? Psalm 4610, cease striving and be still and know that I am God. Well, if you go back and study the Latin of cease striving and be still, it literally translates... Take a vacation from being God long enough to let God show you he's capable of being God. Then you'll start to know him as God. And we're not good at vacating or taking a vacation from being God. We like thinking that we're God. And we're not God. We're not sovereign. We're not in control. So God created us for his pleasure. God created us on purpose and with purpose for his glory. You were created on purpose and you were created with purpose. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by your God. That's that's who we are. Do I believe that? I, I do believe that. He made us for a reason and everything God does, it God does intentionally, right? So there's a purpose and plan that God wants us to understand and walk in. But, but it's all about him. It's not about us. Our purpose for being on the planet does not resol- it doesn't resolve or revolve around us getting our needs met and us being happy and, 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 and us just doing whatever we want to do. And I think a lot of times we think that's why we exist. My buddy Blake and I, we've talked about this in the past, but it's like we live in this culture of hedonism, and it's like, why do you exist? I exist for the purpose of pleasure and for me to be happy and do whatever I want to do. That's not, that's not good, because that's not why we exist. Everything starts with and ends with our creator. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, for by him all things were created by him. All things were created both in the heavens and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And I'm just, I'm highlighting these words. All things have been created by him, through him, for him. All things. And, 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 and. We stop and we go, wow, all things. And how much of the universe up until these last few years has even been accessible for the naked eye even to see things? Not not there. The the invention of the Hubble telescope kind of said, hey, hey, look at all this stuff we're discovering. It's not like it's new. It was already there, but they're starting to discover all this stuff that God created that was already there and you've got to stop and go, well, we didn't know about these billions and billions of stars and these galaxies and all this stuff exists. And you've got to stop and go, who made them? And who did he make them for? The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The psalmist would pin that. So, who made all this stuff? And who did he make it for? He made it for himself. All this stuff has been made for him. It says this, he created the stars, and the psalmist said, and he knows them by name. He's talking about the billions and billions and billions, yeah. So, so the, the resolve has to be this. God, this is the resolve we have to make. God created me for his pleasure. The only reason I exist is for his pleasure. The only reason I'm on the planet is to walk in the pleasure of God. So we we said that man's ultimate purpose for being on the planet is to know God, enjoy God, to walk with God, and worship God. And God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied with him. So it's when I find my satisfaction in him, it was like, ah, that's why I exist. So here's the question. Here's here's the question. When you were growing up, who were your heroes? Now go back. When when you were growing up, who were your heroes? According to your marinade, according to your family, according to who who did you want to be like? Who did you admire? Who who did you look up to? Now, I I was a sports junkie growing up, right? So my favorite basketball player was Pistol Pete at the time. I mean, he had the shaggy hairdo, right? He had the, the socks, man. He had the look going on. And I'm like, I was a Pistol Pete fan. And and, and and I don't really care like where you came from. If you love basketball, oh, you had to admire Pete. Pete could fill it up. Pete was s- so studly, right? And then later, you know, I would sit there and watch and become fascinated with Magic and and Bird and Isaiah and all these guys. But I was like, ah, oh, these guys can play. I always wore number five when I played little league baseball. Why? Because I was a Johnny Bench fan and the Cincinnati Reds, and I would watch Rose and Bench and Morgan and Concepcion, and I would like, oh, Johnny Bench, man. I want to be like Johnny Bench. And I got to meet him a few years ago at Smoltz's Induction into Cooperstown. But you go back, and it's like, who did you want to be like? Whose posters did you have on your wall? Remember when they came out, oh, when, when they came out, Sports Illustrated came out with the iceman George Gervin sitting there palming a basketball, sitting on a big block of ice. I had that one. My brother had one of Paula Abdul, not because he wanted to be like her, I think because he wanted to be with her. I don't know. <laughs> Remember that? Who do you want to be like when you grow up? And that's the question parents still even ask their kids. Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And who do you want to be like? How how many of y'all, how many of you sitting here, your parents wanted you to be like Jesus when you grew up? No. How, How many of you growing up, your parents looked at you and said, hey, I pray that as you grow up, that you'll be like Jesus? We would have said that's heresy and that, that's way twisted that you would even consider something like that. But but God declared out of the gate, Genesis, let us, let us, triune God, make man in our image, in our likeness. God's plan from the beginning has always been to make you like Jesus. When you start to look at that, man is made in the likeness and image of God. Think about it like God, our spirits are eternal and they'll live forever. Like we're going to make man in our image and our likeness. Like God, we can think and we can reason and we can solve problems at times. Like God, like God, we can give love and receive love. And like God, we know what's right. And wrong. So, so, so when you even start to look at it, it says, hey, what, what is God's desire for you? And it's for you to become godly, which means it's for you to be God like. Did you know that's why we exist? And you can talk to people and go, hey, I, I, what are you striving for and aiming for? I just want to be godly. So you're saying you want to be like God. Christians. When the word was first used, it had some derogatory connotation because they were dogging them. But in the purest sense, when the word Christian was first used in the book of Acts, it meant to be little Jesuses. They're Christians. They're they're little Jesuses. You would go, well, how about that? And even Romans 8, people quote this verse often. They'll quote verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, those he foreknew, he also predestined—don't uh, don't, don't, don't miss this. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed and to the image of his Son. The word "conform" means those that come to faith in Christ that repent and surrender— his desire is that they resemble and be like Jesus. So shouldn't that be what we desire for our kids? Shouldn't that be what we desire for ourselves? And shouldn't that be what we desire for our neighbor? That when we see a person that we should desire and really pray, hey, I pray that you become like Christ. I pray that you resemble Jesus. I pray that you're walking so close to the Lord that he's conforming you to his values and his character and his ways that when people see you, they just say, hey, when I see you, I see the Father. God's will, I would write it down, is for you to be like Jesus. Jesus. And and I think even people that attend church, people that have prayed prayers and walked aisles in this culture, I, I think most of us like Jesus and I think most of us even admire Jesus. Like it's really cool, this savior that we have that would die a criminal's death and offer salvation so that we didn't have to go to hell. We go, I like that. But in regards to Jesus being our role model, You're my role model, and you live a life of humility, and you turn the other cheek, and you give, and you serve, and, and you love, and you lay your life down for others. And even if you take that Philippians 2, Kenosis passage, where he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. Consider, consider Jesus the role model. I think we like him as a savior. I think we admire him. But it's like, do I want to be like him? Well, how can I follow him and that not be the deepest aspiration of my heart? Ephesians 4, turn there with me, if you will. And and I want to unpackage from a biblical viewpoint this whole thing of being conformed into the likeness of Christ and, and, and maybe some things that we could apply and implement in our in our struggle and journey. Of becoming like Jesus. Ephesians 4, it says, regarding uh, your former manner of life, verse 22, lay aside the old self. Now, regarding your former manner of life, lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Let me give you three things I'll unpackage here. Three thoughts, becoming like Jesus. One, recognize what you can be. That's a huge thing right there for some of us. I, I, I think for many, we never recognize what we could be and what God really desires for us to be. The second thing I'll unpackage is release what you were. Who you were once upon a time has got to be released if you're going to become what God wants you to be. And three, respond to how God is shaping you right now and conforming you into his likeness. So so you've got to realize, I can be that. I've got to release where I was, and, and I've got to respond to how God is wanting to work in my life right now. Make sense? Okay, so recognize what you can be. This would be your future. We even read in Ephesians 4, back, Just a few verses in verse 12. That God told the pastor, teacher, I want you to equip my people to do the work, the true work that I've set people aside to do. They're saved unto good works. I I want you to equip people to do his work, to build up his church, the body of Christ, until until I want you to build them up. I want you to equip them. I want you to life coach them until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son. That we're mature, full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the standard of Christ. He goes, hey, uh, let me give you a vision for the future. What is the vision for the future? I want you to—look at the words. I would circle these, write them down, and even study them. I want you to equip God's people. Why do you want us— to equip God's people. Why do you want us to be a discipleship oriented culture? Why do you want us teaching the word in season and out of season? Because I want to see the people that have responded to me in faith. I want to see them grow up. I want to see them mature. I want to see them built up. I want to see them walking in unity. And see, he uses he uses these words like grow up mature. Why? Because my intent is to conform you so that you resemble and you are becoming like my son Jesus. I mean, that's the reason. Why do we study? Why do we lay ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, not being, not, not, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed so that the Lord can conform us into the likeness of Why do we do that? Because he's wanting to make you like Jesus. It's going to be an ongoing thing until you die. So when you study the writings of Paul in multiple areas, he uses words like infant. He uses words like children. But then he transitions and he uses words like grow up and mature. I I couldn't speak to you as an adult so I had to speak to you as an infant. He He uses phrases like this throughout his writings, whether you're in Corinthians, other places. It's like you're an infant. You're over here sucking gerbers. I wanted to break out real by for you, but you, you just, you're not there. That's what he's saying. And So when you look at it, you, I would ask this question. How do I know? I, what are some indicators for me? How do I know whether I'm maturing in my faith journey with Jesus or whether I'm staying stunk over here in stranded adolescence? So so I would say one of the indicators is how well do you respond to others when they ask you to give, when they ask you to serve, when you're asked to love? We make no apology about it because we believe that if you serve like every couple of weeks, like 75 minutes out of that 10,080 minutes you get in a week, We believe if you do that like once, even out of the 20,000 plus minutes you get in two weeks, we believe that if you serve and start pouring into others and giving back, it's going to help you grow up and mature. It's going to get the eyes off of yourself. It's going to get you involved in other people's journey. So how well do you respond? I think it's an indicator. How well do I love? How well do I give? How much do I serve? Am I extending myself? So, so I think it's like, am I willing to grow up? Am I willing to set aside childish ways? Dallas Willard, in his book *Renovation of the Heart*, lays out a game plan for personal growth, and this is a great, great game plan. I feel right here, but he talks about three things. He talks about vision. He talks about intention or intent, and then he talks about means. This begins with, a dis- with becoming a disciple of Jesus, not just a convert. Now, we're talking about not just praying prayers, walking aisles, but we're talking about yielding and surrendering and the resolve being conformed into the likeness of Christ. Vision. Listen to what Willard said. We've got to have vision. Vision means I will embrace Jesus's gospel daily. I will not a la carte, cut and paste, take what I like and, and, and throw away what I don't like It means I'm going to take the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus will shape me. And then I will conclude, the Lord is with me wherever I go. The Lord is with me. He will never abandon me. I go, yes. And so God invites us as we start to have vision to embrace a kingdom perspective. And as we embrace this kingdom perspective, we start to believe this. Christ is alive in all of my situations, no matter what I'm going through, and he's ready to lead me in a gracious way. So whether I feel it's a mountaintop or whether I feel like it's a valley, whether I feel like it's something that I really dig and it's comfortable or it's very painful, he's with me because he's going to use whatever experiences I go through to conform me. So we got to have vision as we look at life going, okay, God is with me. Even when life is difficult, I can press into Jesus. I can abide in Jesus. I can learn from Jesus. I can walk with Jesus. I will be guided by Jesus. Vision. And I I think once we get there, brother, it's like, okay, God is walking with me through this valley right now. God is with me walking through this dark moment right now. God is with me. Vision for life. So once you have vision— Willard talks about uh, intention, and the intention has to be this, and I love the way Willard captured this. I will rely on God to help me become the person he wants me to be throughout the day, throughout the hour, through I'm relying on God. In doing this, we have to realize we're going to fight ourselves. We're going to fight our desire to be in control. We're going to fight wanting to have our agendas at the, at the forefront. We're going we're gonna to fight ourselves. Even as we have vision, God's with me. God wants to lead me. I'm leaning into the gospel. Then you get to the intent, and you have to say, I am going to lean into the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. I will not lean on my own understanding. I, I've got to crucify myself. I'm willing to listen to the Lord and even other godly people that want to help me. That's a hard thing for us to do. The reason a lot of us struggle with Christian life is, again, because he says, come to me and die. We don't want to die. If any man wishes to come after me, he's got to take up his cross daily and follow me. We don't want that piece of it. And then the means, okay? As I have vision and the intent is established, you get to the means, which means I will establish spiritual disciplines in my life. Our radical mentoring group for the month of February is going to be reading Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. I've read that book years ago. I picked it back up and started reading it again this week. Spiritual disciplines are there to keep me on the pathway of grace so that God can do what he wants to do in me. Spiritual disciplines are never established for me to pimp me and promote me and think it's about me. So whether I'm fasting or praying or whatever I'm doing, giving, serving, whatever, all of these spiritual disciplines are just keeping me on the path where I can flourish. And then next week I'm going to talk about staying on the right, being the right soil because uh, there's so much there in regards to our hearts that's got to be right. God wants us to be in the right place where he can work on us. So, so when I'm practicing spiritual disciplines, I'm memorizing scripture, right, I'm going to meditate day and night on the law of the Lord, not turn right or left. I'm going to choose to give thanks to God in my prayers for, no, for whatever I'm going through. It doesn't matter. I'm not just going to thank God for the, the wins. I'm going to thank him for the struggles. Then uh, I'm going to trust God in this time of establishing my, my real discipline into the Lord. I'm going to trust him with the outcomes going, You're, what you want to do and what this outcome is going to be, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm not going to manipulate the outcome. And I think that's where a lot of us get into trouble. I'm trying to manipulate. I want this outcome to be a certain way. I'm going to spend time blessing others and encouraging others. That's just one of the the means of discipline in my life. Spend time blessing. Spend time encouraging. uh, And build up others. I would tell you this. You've got to recognize what you can be. But you're going to have to have vision, intent, And some means, some goals, some discipline, some habits to carry it out. He says in verse 24, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So recognize what you can be. Two, release what you once were. Verse 17 of chapter 4. Release what you once were. This is your past. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Listen to some of these statements he makes here. In the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, etc. What is he saying? Hey, Hey, lay aside the old self that is absolutely corrupt that lives for the moment, that lives for the flesh. And I think it's so healthy for all of us to remember who we were apart from Christ. I need to go back At times, and remember how jacked up, confused, calloused, hard, all these words he uses, I'm like, before I trusted you, Lord, I was a train wreck, empty, lost. I mean, look at the emphatic language in that text right there. A, your mind was futile. Dark. You were excluded, separated, ignorant. You weren't stupid, you were ignorant. Ignorant means you're ignoring what God has revealed about himself, and you were ignorant. You just ignored it. Calloused. Does that fit anybody in here before Christ? Calloused, hard. And I think for so many people, they struggle letting go of the past. Because we want this Jesus to save us again because it's cool. But we don't want him as a role model. So we, we will say, yes, 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 I'm surrendering. I'm asking Christ to save me. But we've got these, all these areas over here of our flesh that we continue to gratify our flesh. Because you're still walking like a Gentile. You're not letting go of that which is dead. And you got to remember when Paul even writes this to the church in Ephesus, first century Ephesus, it was jacked up. It was really no different than 21st century Loganville. You, You go back and study it, sexual perversion, alcoholism, promiscuity, violence, Temple of Diana, Artemis. Oh, you're the best. Bacchus, the God of alcoholism, don't be drunk with wine. It leads to debauchery. It it dissipates that Bacchus God that you're about. I mean, it's jacked up. And he's writing to these people that have just surrendered to Christ. And that was the world in which they were living. And that's the world in which we're living. Alcoholism, violence, all kinds of stuff. And it's like, hey, man. If you're going to follow Jesus and become conformed, you're going to have to go against the flow. And people all the time, whether you're in school or whatever, you'll hear people say, hey, dude, just go with the flow. Well, the flow is on its way to hell. Don't go with the flow. I was going with the flow. Rapidly increasing with the flow. So if you want to look like Jesus... It's like, i got to recognize what I can be, but I'm going to have to release what I was. And that living the crucified life of saying, all right. And, and, and this whole thing of surrender with people in our recovery program, they will tell you that a lot of times it's laying it down again today and today and today. It's not like you just say, hey, you can have it and move on. Sometimes things happen. You go, i got to lay it down again. i got to release it again. I've got to release it Again. So I would say, recognize what you can be. Release who you were and respond to what God wants you to be. I think this is huge. He goes, you have learned Christ in verse 20. You were taught and have heard all about him. You have learned the truth that is in Jesus. He goes, you have, you've been taught, you've heard, you had to learn it. Becoming like Jesus is not automatic or instant. You have to learn. You've got to be with him. You've got to be a student of him. You've got, even, you remember the passage in Acts uh 413 where it says and when they saw the courage of peter and john they took note of these dudes because they recognized that these dudes were unschooled and unlearned and just kind of ignorant old redneck dudes down at the fishing pier that they're like all of a sudden they're like man we're taking note of who these guys are and the statement says this in acts 4 because they had been with jesus Hey, when they saw the courage and confidence of these guys, they took note because before they were like this, but now they're like, these dudes are radically changed. What What was the key to them becoming changed? And they're like, they've just been hanging out with Jesus. They've just been hanging out with Jesus. They've just been hanging out with Jesus. And that's the game changer. How much time do you spend hanging out with Jesus? How much time do you spend just in the Word and prayer and just hanging out with Jesus and saturating with Jesus because people will notice? And he uses the phrase like you've got you to learn. You've got to be taught. You've got you to know what truth is. You've got to become a student. And so we're students. You you're still a student, Tim? I am. And that's the reason we think small groups and doing Life with others in in community is so important because we learn together. We're all students. And there's no such thing as an earthly rabbi in a sense now. Jesus is our rabbi and teacher. I mean, he's our our teacher. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. But we're all students. We all learn together. We all grow together. That's the reason when you become isolated and, and distant and you're not doing life in community you, you can experience a lot of jacked up stuff that can happen there because you start to get prideful or egotistical or, or maybe the enemy comes and just starts to pick you apart because of depression or whatever. I mean, we're all going to struggle. We need community. Uh, Jesus is our subject. I say we're studying. All of us are, are students of Jesus to become like Christ. We're not studying religion and performance and posing and wearing masks. We're studying Jesus. How do we live this stuff out today? And, and, and again, our teacher is the Holy Spirit and Christ living in, in inside of us. So all of us are a work in progress today. Andrew, you're not where you were four years ago. And guess what? I'm not where I was four years ago. God is still in the process of shaping and conforming his values and his character inside of me and you. And we, we, we oftentimes look at people and go, I, I can't believe they don't know any more than they... I can't believe that any of us know anything about God. To be honest with you, God in his kindness has revealed certain things to us. The fact that we know anything about God is mind blowing that God would cut us in on the deal. The fact that we would want to dog anybody else is not even biblical, but when we're doing life with each other, we can help each other struggle well and fall well. Here it is in closing, Ephesians 4. I want to read that text again. I'm going to read a couple things here and close. Regarding your former manner of life. Lay aside the old self. Lay it aside, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust and deceit. What are you saying? Repent and turn from your old ways. That would be the word. Repent, unplug from the old, from your old ways. I got to unplug from that. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Second thing I would tell you is repent. Verse 22, verse 23 says, renew, see things from God's perspective. You've got to put on the spiritual lens where you can see things from his perspective. Verse 24, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Receive. You've got to repent. You've got to renew. You've got to continue to receive to put on the character of God. I'm like, I'm always trying to just figure out how to simply break it down where I can understand it. I can take this text and go, all right, repent. I can repent. Renew. How often do you repent? All the time. How often do you renew? Every day. How often do you receive and clothe yourself in the things of Christ? Every day. So you want to be like Jesus. Back to what I said. You got to recognize Here's what I can be. You've got to release. Ah, this is who I used to be. And then you've got to respond to what God is wanting to do now. And how do you do it? Just what I said. You repent, you renew, you receive. You repent, you renew, you receive. If you want to be conformed into the likeness of Christ, I invite you to crawl on the altar as a living sacrifice and stay there, not crawl off of it because you want to do your own thing, but to stay on the altar and say, God, I'm surrendering, I want you to conform me to be like Jesus. That would be cool.